We believe that God's word is powerful and authoritative, um, so we like to read it and pour over it and unpack it every day, every week we gather. Um, we believe that these are words that we can build our lives on. We've been in this passage in Acts chapter 2 for a little while. We've got this week and next week before we move on to something else. But we're reading it every week because we want it to become more and more true of us. And hopefully in every reading and every unpacking, there's been another layer that's emerged to you. So before we start, I'll read this passage again to us, and we pray that this will be true in our lives, just as it was in the life of this church community. So Acts 2, starting at verse 42, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the inspiration and example that it provides for us. We pray that you would speak to us, that we would be inspired and empowered by your Holy Spirit to live this life for you. Be glorified now as we consider what it is to follow you with everything that we've got. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the Acts 2 church that we've been reading about again and again were a fellowship of irresistible generosity. Generosity is kind of laced throughout this passage. There's generosity in their prayer and their faith in offering prayers for one another regularly. There's generosity in opening their homes, in being devoted to one another. There's There's generosity in loving each other abundantly, not stingily. But those two verses in the middle, verses 44 and 45, bring generosity into even greater focus for us today. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And then they sold what they had to give to anyone who had need. I want to take a moment just to consider those things in turn as we consider what it would be for us to be irresistibly uh, generous like this church community was. So first thing then, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. The Roman Empire into which this church community uh, lived and was kind of birthed out of was very vertical in how it was arranged. It was very hierarchical, very stratified, very structured, very I'm above you and they're above me. And then you get this church community that's completely the opposite of that that's what they knew that's what they were surrounded by but after they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost we see through things like this that rather than standing vertically they stood horizontally side by side with one another not trying to eke out a position that might mean that they're higher than somebody else not trying to get one over on somebody else they lived horizontally with everything in common Freed from the trappings of competition and materialism, the Roman Empire might have been stratified upwards, arranged vertically, 
so that they could say how good they were and how many people they were ahead of. And yet, straight away, as the Spirit of God fills this church community, instead of being one above another, they're one by the side of another. And that's the way it went on. This really is everything that we looked at when we looked at fellowship about the fact that they were in and out of each other's lives all the time. But it has the added dimension, I guess, of stuff, of possessions, of money, of sharing what they had. A couple of chapters on in Acts, there's another little summary, a little bit like this one. And it talks about how all of them didn't consider their things to be their own, but considered their stuff to be at the disposal of anyone. The church community here kind of loosed their grip on their own stuff to the point where it might have been in their house, say, but it was kind of the co-possession of everyone. If someone else had greater need of it, then of course you would give because this stuff isn't primarily mine because my identity is not primarily mine. It's now us. It's a we thing. And so added on to that fellowship that we've talked about before, they had everything in common think about that everything they owned think about everything you own held in common with one another so that if someone's car breaks down then you think well if you need it then mine is yours if someone's pipe bursts and they can't have a shower then your shower's kind of their shower isn't it someone's stuff maybe if you've got too much and they've got too little that it's not thought of as mine against yours it's thought of as ours how can we do it best When we follow Jesus, we become brothers and sisters. We're united into one body with Jesus Christ as the head. And when one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body knows about it. And in this church community here, like it was in Acts as we've read, I'd love for it that we become knitted into one body. So that when one hurts, others feel it. When one is joyful, others feel it too, that we share the need out amongst us. We're not radically individual. Me, myself, and I, and I have to provide, and I have to sort me out, and I have to fend for myself. Because there's times when life circumstances are too big for any of us. This church community, we're able to hold everything in common. That isn't just money stuff, of course resources and things but it does definitely include that because of what is written there I wonder what it would look like what your imagination puts in your head when you think about holding everything in common I know it seems like a small thing but I can remember reading a passage like this in a church small group maybe 10 15 years ago and we all realized that we um had loads of books. Now, I know that sounds like a funny thing to say. I love books. Sarah will tell you how much I love books. And we realized, well, what's the point in two of us having the same thing? We read it, and then it goes on a shelf primarily. And so one of the natural expressions of this trying to hold everything in common was someone put together a Google Doc, and everyone added in the kind of things that they had to the point where if you were like, oh, that sounds quite interesting. Instead of going to buy it myself, I'd just borrow it from you. There was a Christian guy in London who inspired by a passage like this he started this thing called street bank because he realized that everyone's got well lots of people have got lots of stuff that gets used for like 10 minutes a month if that a lawnmower a hedge trimmer the kind of things that fill your garages or your sheds and he's like what's the point in everyone having one of these things what if I could put together a directory where people could say oh could I borrow that from you so that we don't waste as much stuff, so that we actually get to know the people around us. 
And it was a brilliant thing, and it spread then throughout the country, and I think even beyond, as an expression of what would it be to hold everything in common? What would it be to say no to materialism and waste and individuality and say yes to community, to each other, to sharing, so that our stuff isn't just ours, but it kind of belongs to everyone else as well? I know this goes against everything that we're told everywhere else, but a bit like the Roman Empire, this church community were able to show how much better the way of Jesus was than that. And I would love for the same sort of thing to emerge amongst us today. So first, they were together and had everything in common. Second, it says that they sold what they had and gave to anyone who had need. There's an early church leader called Tertullian, and he wrote about this church community and said that outsiders looked at the Christians and saw them energetically feeding the poor people and burying them, caring for boys and girls who lacked property and parents, and being attentive to aged slaves and prisoners. The outsiders interpreted these actions as a work of love, and they said, look, how they love one another. The Acts community gave what they had to whoever had need. Now remember with the first thing, the believers were together and had everything in common. Now it's not just amongst the believers, but they gave to anyone who had need. So a neighbor, a colleague, a friend, someone who got wind that there was a generous community and had a need and came to find them themselves. They gave to whoever had need. Now, Jerusalem's not a small place. There were loads and loads of people there. And I'm sure as soon as people got wind of this, word would have spread. People would have been flocking to them saying, well, I need this. Could you help? I've got this lack. What could you do? This would have got out across the city because the rest of the city was operating in this vertical way. And here were people saying, I'll meet your need if I possibly can. This wasn't just shared amongst the fellowship of those who followed Jesus, but inspired by the Holy Spirit to whoever they came across and to whoever came across them. A few chapters on in Acts 6, we read about how the community needed to reorganize itself because the daily distribution of food, just think about that, daily distribution of food, was being done in a way that was excluding some or some were being overlooked in the queue, as it were. They had to think about how do we put leadership and provision in place so that everyone can benefit. There's loads that we could say about that. But one thing that's implied through it is that there was a finite amount of food to be given away. They had a pot or whatever it was and there was a queue and they could only meet so many needs. And so where you were in the queue was quite important. The need outstripped their supply, as it were, but they decided to give anyway. And that's really significant for me because this church community wanted to do what they could and they weren't stopped because of what they couldn't. I look on Bury and Manchester and beyond and see so many needs. Everywhere you turn, you think there's another thing that could be provided. People in practical need people whose health is poor physically or mentally, people who don't have jobs, who don't speak English and are trying to make their way here, people who are without in so many ways, people who've been failed by the system time and time again. And the need could easily overwhelm all of us. 
how on earth can I make a difference when everywhere I turn there's another thing and that would seem to take ages to sort out. What I'm encouraged by here is that this church community didn't say, well, there's too much to do so we won't do anything. They just did what they could. They met the need of the person in front of them. They gave to the one who they could give to. And when they didn't have enough, they knew that the God that they worshipped could provide miraculously. Acts 3, the very next passage, the one that we've been focusing on all series, records this story of Peter and John going to the temple to worship, going to the place where they were going to pray at a set hour. And on the way, they meet a beggar who's lame and is put out there every day in order to beg for money. And Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And the man gets up and walks and goes to the temple to worship with them. So what we see through these two things held side by side then is that this church community were generous with what they had. They gave of their resources, instinctively almost, to meet the needs of other people. And they prayed to God who could multiply what they'd given and could provide even beyond what they ever could, to step in, as it were, when their supply ran out. Some might say, well, why give? Why be generous? If God really does own the cattle on a thousand hills, if God could really do anything that he wants and he's not inhibited or limited by our lack, why give then? Well, we give because God wants to use us. God wants to invite us in. God wants to weave us into the story of his kingdom growing. God could operate without any of us. He could operate without anything that we have. But he's chosen consistently through scripture and church history to show us what happens when we give our little bit to him. Think of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The little boy turns up with his lunch, gives it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it multiplies it and hands it round this crowd of 10 maybe 12,000 people we give our little bit to Jesus it's not enough to meet the need but in Jesus hands it can be multiplied extended made bigger and go further than we ever thought possible God wants us to use what we have which let's remember ultimately came from him anyway he wants us to use what we have because his heart is to partner with us. God doesn't want to operate without us. He wants to do it with us because he loves us. He appointed the the disciples to be near him, to be with him. And it's all about relationship. God is not there to impose things on us or to carry out plans without us. God wants to use us for his glory. And as he does it, our generous God will make us a little bit more generous as he is. Every time we see him multiply, our hearts are shaped to become a little bit more generous like he is. He knows that if he just provided, then what lesson would that teach us in a sense? But if we give and then he multiplies, if we give and then it blesses, he knows that he can make our hearts more generous like his is. Time and time again, through scripture and the history of the church, we see what happens when people are generous with what they have and 
God steps in to multiply, to provide miraculously on top of what they could ever have dreamt or imagined. We're not going to be a people here at St. Peter's who artificially divide those two things, who say, well, it's either all that we can do or it's everything that God can do. We know that God's heart is to partner with us, to take what's in our hands and to multiply it for the benefit and the blessing of those around us. We're going to give generously and we're going to pray that God would multiply and go beyond what we ever could. We're going to put our bit in and we're going to pray that God would do the abundantly over and above the exceedingly more that only he can do. Practically then, what does that mean here and now? Well, as you know, I'm sure, God has given us a massive vision for this church. The heart and the thing that's been getting me excited over these last few months is that Bury would be transformed and that St. Peter's would play a part in it. The phrase that we've been using is, in every sphere of Bury, as it is in heaven. Every bit of Bury, the businesses, the political institutions, the natural environment, justice, art, culture, education, home, every bit of Bury might become more and more like the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus himself comes down and makes his home here, we're praying that every area, every street, every person, every home might be blessed by God's presence. And the way that we think we're going to get there is through wholehearted devotion to Jesus in worship and prayer, giving everything to him. We're going to get there by transformational growth, being people that grow towards the image of Jesus, that aren't content with how we are now, but want to grow more and more to be like him. And finally, by multiplying faith, by seeing everything we have as an opportunity for it to be grown for God's glory. The message that we've been given to be sown into the hearts of other people. For faith to grow in us and then beyond us. And as I was thinking about it, generosity really weaves its way into all of that really naturally. Wholehearted devotion, well, generosity is giving everything that we have to Jesus. Not holding anything back for ourselves, but saying, you can have it all. God, you gave yourself in fullness for me. I give myself fully back to you transformational growth well we want to become generous people transform not to just look like our society not to just look like the roman empire but to look like jesus people generous and giving to have selfishness transformed into sacrifice and to put that on display for god's glory here in this town finally then multiplying faith well The Bible talks about if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So we want to be people who are generous to sow generously the words of faith that we've received, the gospel, the good news of Christ, so that other people in this town can get to meet Jesus. We want to be those who, like Peter and John, say, I don't have that, but what I do have is the power of God. And then explain the gospel to people as their jaws drop, as God does the miraculous in our midst. Our plans and vision here are huge and I know that there's a big distance between our dreams and our reality and that's okay because God is the God that takes us forward step by step. 
But today I want to encourage you to be generous towards God, to be generous towards this place, his church, his plan A for the salvation and the restoration of this place is his church. And I want to encourage you to be generous and become more generous as a co-laborer, a partner with God, because he wants to use you to do everything that he's got in store for this place. Being really practical, I started to list some of the things that we'd love to do here if generosity was released and we were more and more able. We would love more than anything else to start building a staff team of people who can sow into this all week long. People who are experts in kids, in youth, in worship, in operations, in prayer. New leaders who are going to be raised up here and then sent to do this in other places. We would love to do that. We want to invest in this physical space to make it warm and safe and flexible and sustainable and practical for all the people that we want to work from here and all the ministries and events and times of worship that we want to host here. The architect came round this week and Sarah said it was one of the most animated times she's seen me in the last little while because this guy is saying, yeah, we could make it happen. If you've got this kind of budget, we could do anything. This guy's coming around saying, look, here's what's possible. And I'm like, yes, please, let it be so for Jesus' sake. Because this place could do so much. And it's not about a building. I'm not here. I'm not an architect, deliberately. But this building does make possible loads of things that aren't currently possible. Because if you want to do anything in here, it takes 12 hours to heat it up. And that costs us an arm and a leg to do every time. So how can we make it warmer, more practical, more flexible? How can we use this asset for God's glory? Because loads of people outside the church see this as the church. And if this place is welcoming and hospitable, then hopefully they come to see the God who's behind all this, who inhabits all this and is bigger than it for themselves. We want to give away 10% of all of our unrestricted income. We're not a people that are going to hoard everything for ourselves. If I want you to be generous as people of this church, I want our church to similarly be generous, to lead the way in that regard. We're not sitting on loads of money at the moment, but we've written a budget this year which has 10% of it going away to people who aren't us, who are doing God's work in places that aren't St. Peter's. Maybe they'll be local in and around Bury and Greater Manchester, some of them international, to keep our perspective also big and wide. But we want to be generous to others like St. Philip's in Salford, like St. Luke's in North London, and others have been towards us. They've sowed in here, so we want to start stockpiling so that we can sow into the lives of people that aren't us, being generous with what we have, just like others have been generous to us. We want to show compassion to those in need here and have the resources, the stuff, the infrastructure to make that happen. We've had dreams about responding to the mental health epidemic with Christian meditation, with a community cafe to get people together, a space that's full of God's presence and in which people start to heal bit by bit. I've got a dream about starting a ministry with a football organization that use football to connect with young men particularly and introduce them to Jesus as they do it. Young men are some of the least likely people to be found in church and I'd love to do that. Football is in the bones of Bury. It's kind of who this place is to a large extent and I'd love for a ministry to be front foot into that domain. 
all of these things and so many more. Finally, we'd love to use media, printed, digital, all those kind of things so that everyone in this area gets to hear about what goes on. I'd love to replace those notice boards out there. I'd love to put things on screens so that we get into homes of people who would never come through our door but might see something when it's put online. We want everyone to find it as easy as possible to stumble across this place and that's going to mean so many different things across so many different times. These are just a snapshot of this vision becoming a reality, of the next steps, if you like. I just want you to know that the stuff that we could do is huge. The potential is enormous. And what we're going to do in response to that is add our bit of generosity. We're going to sow in and then we're going to pray that God would meet the gap. Because right now there's a massive gap between the resources enabled to do all that stuff and what we currently have. But we believe in a God who goes over and above again and again and again. As I end, I want to tell you the story of a lady called Amy Carmichael. You might have heard of her before. She died about 70 years ago. She was an Irish missionary who spent most of her life serving people in Jesus' name in India. She did various things in the UK, and even for a time, I was learning this week, spent time in Manchester, and then spent most of her life in India, telling people about Jesus, relieving their suffering and their need. And then in the latter part of her life, when her health had pretty much given up, she wrote an prolific number of books that were then sent all around the world to tell people about Jesus. There was something in me that rose when I found out that she'd been in Manchester for a time and I was kind of praying that we might pick up something of her legacy. One of the things which Amy Carmichael said which she's best known for is this, you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. You could give and give really generously and not really love the person or the thing that you're giving to. Maybe it's out of duty, maybe it's out of expectation, maybe it's out of wanting to look a certain way. You could give something and not love the thing that you're pouring into. But what she says is that you cannot love without giving. Ultimately, giving and generosity are a matter of love. What or who do you love And how is that going to be expressed with your time, with your energy, with your stuff? My heart has been caught and captivated by Jesus. I've followed him for years and years now. And I want to give him all of me in return for him having given all of himself on my behalf. I want him to use me so that he might be given glory and that his glory might increase here in Bury. Nothing I give could ever be too big because he's given more than that already. When you get your love right, the priorities of what you care about, what's important to you, the giving, the generosity starts to flow naturally. We've all seen it, haven't we? When someone has a passion or a hobby and they're just willing to do anything for it. You know, the people that go to every away match of their football team, wherever it is in this country or beyond, the people that give up everything they've got for a collection or a hobby that they do, people who start a new relationship and then magically just give people things because they want to express their heart's affection for that person. Generosity and giving follows love. 
And so what I want to say to you today is what and who do you love and how is that expressed in your giving? My hope, my prayer is that your hearts have been caught, are being caught up by Jesus for the gospel in response to everything that he's done for you. And so generosity and giving flows naturally from that place. My prayer is that you would write yourself into what God is doing here and want to be generous. That you would be an answer to that prayer today by sowing into what God is wanting to do here and then joining us in prayer that he would meet the gap between where we are and where we would love to be.